Chapter Fifteen of Mister Midshipman Easy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mister Midshipman Easy, by Captain Frank Marriott, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Fifteen, in which mutiny, like fire is quenched for want of fuel, and no want of water. Although we have made the African negro hitherto talk in his own mixed jargon, yet, as we consider that, in a long narration, it will be tedious to the reader, we shall now translate the narrative part into good English, merely leaving the conversation with which it may be broken in its particular dialect. The first thing I recollect— said Mesty, is that I was carried on the shoulders of a man, with my legs hanging down before me, and holding on by his head. Every one used to look at me and get out of the way as I rode through the town in the market-place, so loaded with heavy gold ornaments that I could not bear them, and was glad when the women took them off. But as I grew older I became proud of them because I knew that I was the son of a king. I lived happily, I did nothing but shoot my arrows, and I had a little sword, which I was taught to handle, and the great captains who were about my father showed me how to kill my enemies. Sometimes I laid under the shady trees, sometimes I was with the women belonging to my father, sometimes I was with him and played with the skulls, and repeated the names of those to whom they belonged. For in our country, when we kill our enemies, we keep their skulls as trophies. As I grew older I did as I pleased. I beat the women and the slaves. I think that I killed some of the latter. I know I did one, to try whether I could strike well with my two-handed sword made of hard and heavy wood but that is nothing in our country. I longed to be a great captain, and I thought of nothing else but war and fighting, and how many skulls I should have in my possession when I had a house and wives of my own, and was no longer a boy. I went out in the woods to hunt, and I stayed for weeks, and one day I saw a panther basking in the sun, waving his graceful tail. I crept up softly till I was behind a rock within three yards of it, and, drawing my arrow to the head, I pierced him through the body. The animal bounded up in the air, saw me, roared, and made a spring, but I dropped behind the rock as he passed over me. He turned again to me, but I had my knife ready, and as he fixed his talons into my shoulder and breast. I pierced him to the heart. This was the happiest day of my life. I had killed a panther without assistance, and I had the wounds to show. Though I was severely hurt, I thought nothing of it. I took off the skin as my blood dripped down and mixed with that of the beast. But I rejoiced in it. Proudly did I go into the town, dripping with gore and smarting with pain. Every one extolled defeat, called me a hero and a great captain. I filed my teeth, 
and I became a man. From that day I ranked among the warriors, and soon as my wounds were healed I went out to battle. In three fights I gained five skulls, and when I returned they weighed me out gold. And then I had a house and wives, and my father appointed me a cavalier. I wore the plume of an eagle and ostrich feathers. My dress was covered with fetishes. I pulled on the boots with bells, and with my bows and arrows slung on my back, my spear and blunderbuss, my knives and my double-handed sword, I led the men to battle and brought back skulls and slaves. Every one tremble at my name, and if my father threatened to send me out, gold-dust covered the floor of his hall of council. Now I boiled the kettle for the young gentleman. There was one man I liked. He was not a warrior, or I should have hated him, but he was brought up with me in my father's house, and was a near relative. I was grave and full of pride. He was gay and fond of music, and although there was no music to me equal to the tom-tom, yet I did not always wish for excitement. I was often melancholy, and then I liked to lay my head in the lap of one of the wives under the shady forest behind my house, and listen to his soft music. At last we went to a town near us where his father lived and as he departed I gave him gold-dust. He had been sent to my father to be formed into a warrior, but he had no strength of body, and he had no soul. Still I loved him, because he was not like myself. There was a girl in the town who was beautiful. Many asked her as their wife, but her father had long promised her to my friend. He refused even the greatest warrior of the place, who went away in wrath to the fetish man, and throwing him his gold armlets, asked for a fetish against his rival. It was given, and two days before he was to be married, my friend died. His mother came to me, and it was enough. I put on my war-dress, I seized my weapons sat for a whole day with my skulls before me, working up my revenge, called out my men, and that night set off for the town where the warrior resided, killed two of his relatives, and carried off ten of his slaves. When he heard what I had done, he trembled and sent gold. But I knew he had taken the girl home as his wife and I would not listen to the old man who sought to pacify me. Again I collected a larger force, and attacked him in the night. We fought, for he was prepared with his men, but after a struggle he was beaten back. I fired his house, wasted his provision ground, and taking away more slaves I returned home with my men, intending soon to assault him again. The next day there came more messengers, who knelt in vain. So they went to my father, and many warriors begged him to interfere. My father sent for me, but I would not listen. The warriors spoke, and I turned my back. My father was wrath, 
and threatened. The warriors brandished their two-handled swords. They dared to do it. I looked over my shoulder with contempt, and I returned to my house. I took down my skulls, and I planned. It was evening, and I was alone, when a woman covered up to the eyes approached. She fell down before me as she exposed her face. I am the girl who was promised to your relation, and I am now the wife of your enemy. I shall be a mother. I could not love your relation, for he was no warrior. It is not true that my husband asked for a fetish. It was I who brought it, for I would not wed him. Kill me, and be satisfied. She was very beautiful, and I wondered not that my enemy loved her, and she was with child. It was his child, and she had fetished my friend to death. I raised my sword to strike, and she did not shrink. It saved her life. "'Thou art fit to be the mother of warriors,' said I, as I dropped my sword, "'and thou shalt be my wife. But first his child shall be born, and I will have thy husband's skull.' "'No, no,' replied she, "'I will be the mother of no warriors.' but by my present husband, whom I love. If you keep me as your slave, I will die." I told her she said foolish things, and sent her to the women's apartment with orders to be watched. But she hardly had been locked up before she drew her knife, plunged it into her heart, and died. When the king my father heard this, he sent me a message. Be satisfied with the blood that has been shed. It is enough. But I turned away, for I wished for mine enemy's skull. That night I attacked him again, and met him hand to hand. I killed him, and carried home his skull, and I was appeased. But the great warriors were wrath and my father could not restrain them. They called out their men, and I called out my men, and I had a large body, for my name was terrible. But the force raised against me was twice that of mine, and I retreated to the bush. After a while we met and fought, and I killed many, but my men were too few, and were overpowered. The fetish had been sent out against me, and their hearts melted. At last I sank down with my wounds, for I bled at every pore, and I told my men who were about me to take off my feathers, and my dress and boots, that my enemies might not have my skull. They did so, and I crawled into the bush to die. But I was not to die. I was recovering when I was discovered by those who steal men to sell them. I was bound, fastened to a chain with many more, I, a prince and a warrior, who could show the white skulls of his enemies. I offered to procure gold, but they derided me, they dragged me down to the coast, and sold me to the whites. 
little did I think in my pride that I should be a slave. I knew that I was to die, and hoped to die in battle. My skull would have been more prized than all the gold in the earth, and my skin would have been stuffed and hung up in the fetish-house, instead of which I now boiled the kettle for the young gentlemen." "'Well,' replied Jack, "'that's better than being killed and stuffed.' "'Mayhap it is,' replied Mesty. "'I tink very different now than I tink den. But still, it woman's work, and not suit me. They put me with others into a cave until the ship came, and then we were sent on board, put in irons, and down in the hold where you could not sit upright. I wanted to die, but could not. Others died every day, but I lived. I was landed in America, all bone, and I fetched very little money. They laughed at me as they bid their dollars. At last a man took me away, and I was on a plantation with hundreds more, but too ill to work, and not intending to work. The other slaves asked me if I were a fetish man. I said yes, and I would fetish any man that I did not like. One man laughed, and I held up my finger. I was too weak to get up, for my blood had long boiled with fever, and I said to him, you shall die, for I meant to have killed him as soon as I was well. He went away, and in three days he was dead. I don't know how, but all the slaves feared me, and my master feared me, for he had seen the man die, and he, although he was a white man, believed in fetish, and he wished to sell me again, but no one would buy a fetish man, so he made friends with me for I told him if I was beat he should die, and he believed me. He took me into his house, and I was his chief man, and I would not let the other slaves steal, and he was content. He took me with him to New York, and there, after two years when I had learned English, I ran away and got aboard of an English ship, and they told me to cook. I left the ship as soon as I came to England, and offered myself to another. And they said they did not want a cook. And I went to another, and they asked me if I was a good cook. Everybody seemed to think that a black man must be a cook, and nothing else. At last I starve, and I go on board a man-of-war, and here I am, after having been a warrior, and a prince, a cook, steward, and everything else boiling kettle for the young gentleman." "'Well,' replied Jack, "'at all events that is better than being a slave.'" Mesty made no reply. Anyone who knows the life of a midshipman's servant will not be surprised at his silence. "'Now, tell me, do you think you were right in being so revengeful when you were in your own country?' inquired Jack. I think so den, Master Easy. Sometimes when my blood boil, I think so now. Other time, I know no what to think. But when a man love very much, he 
hate very much. But now you are a Christian, Mesty. I hear all that your people say, replied the negro, and it make me think I no longer believe in fetish anyhow. Our religion tells us to love our enemies. Jas, I heard the parson say dat, but then what we do with our friends, Massa Easy? Love them too. I no understand dat, Massa Easy. I love you because you good and treat me well. Mr. Vigors, he bully and treat me ill. How possible to love him? By de power, I hate him and wish I had him skull. You think little Massa Gossett love him? No, replied Jack, laughing. I'm afraid that he would like to have his skull as well as you, Mesty. But in all events, we must try and forgive those who injure us. Then, Massa Easy, I think so too. Too much revenge, very bad. It very easy to hate, but not very easy to forgive. So I think that if a man forgive, he have more soul in him. He more of a man. After all, thought Jack, Mesty is about as good a Christian as most people. What that? cried Mesty, looking out of the cabin window. Ah, damn drunken dogs! They set fire to tent. Jack looked and perceived that the tent on shore was in flames. I think these cold nights cooled their courage, anyhow, he observed. Massa Easy, you see, they soon asked permission to come on board. Jack thought so too, and was most anxious to be off, for, on looking into the lockers of the stateroom, he found a chart of the Mediterranean which he studied very attentively. He had found out the rock of Gibraltar, and had traced the harpy's course to the Cape de Cat, and thence to Tarragona and, after a while, had summoned Mesty to a cabinet council. "'See, Mesty,' said Jack, "'I begin to make it out. Here is Gibraltar, and the Cape de Cant, and Tarragona. It was hereabout we were when we took the ship, and, if you recollect, we had passed Cape de Cat two days before we were blown off from the land, so that we had gone about twelve inches and only four more to go. Yes, Master Easy, I see dat. Well, then, uh, we were blown off shore by the wind, and must, of course, have come down this way. And here you see are three little islands, called Zaffarine Islands, and with no names of towns upon them, and therefore uninhabited. And you see they lie just like the islands we are anchored among now. We must be at the Zaffarine Islands, and only six inches from Gibraltar. I see, Master Easy, that all right, but six devilish long inches. Now, Mesty, you know the compass on deck has a flourishing thing for the north point, and here is a compass with a north point also. Now, the north point from the Zaffarine Islands leads out to the Spanish coast again and Gibraltar lies five or six points of the compass to this side of it. If we steer that way, we shall get to Gibraltar." "'All right, Massa Easy,' replied Mesty, and Jack was right, 
with the exception of the variation, which he knew nothing about. To make sure, Jack brought one of the compasses down from the deck, and compared them. He then lifted off the glass, counted the points of the compass to the westward, and marked the corresponding one on the binnacle compass with his pen. "'There,' he said, "'that is the way to Gibraltar, and as soon as the mutiny is quelled, and the wind is fair, I'll be off.'" End of chapter 15